Today on Wine Access Unfiltered. That's actually where I first saw you on Entourage. That was a whole bizarre experience just because there's some people that really believe those characters yeah. are real. But you like kind of played a version of yourself right. on that show. But the other characters had their... You mean Vinny Chase is not a real person? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, are you still with Vinny? Vinny, Vinny, Vinny. Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. Vanessa, you look gorgeous in green, and I'm excited to have you and one of my other favorite ladies on today. Thank you. No, I'm excited. I know that two of you know each other, or at least by text, I think. So I feel like uh, I feel like I have some catching up to do. A little bit. <laughs> Sasha Gray on the show today. And yes, we know each other via text only, courtesy of a mutual friend of ours who connected us because Sasha was starting to get really into wine. So over the years, she's hit me up for wine advice. And I'm excited to finally get to have a real conversation with her today. I thought she'd be a perfect guest for the show, one, because of her love of wine, but two, she has a really fascinating life and story. In addition to being one of the most famous adult film stars ever, she's the only one I know of to truly break out of the industry into more mainstream films and TV. I mean, she's been in a Steven Soderbergh film. She's had a very memorable arc on Entourage as Vinnie Chase's girlfriend. She produces music, has written books, and is now a streaming star on Twitch, which I have to say is a streaming platform I'm less familiar with and only know as something the gaming community really loves. But I do know it's big, and I I know it has a much broader reach and demographic than what most assume. Wow. Well, and we certainly have two very interesting wines to taste with her today. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's really an eclectic and adventurous drinker. It's one of the things I love about her. And not only have I been impressed by her literal thirst for knowledge and desire to learn, but I know she really impressed the Wine Access team as well through the process of getting ready for this show. Speaking of getting ready for the show, I have to imagine, Vanessa, that you've already dug into at least one of these wines to give them a little sampling. You know me so well. <laughs> yes, the white wine, uh, which we'll be tasting together. I, I might I'm, I might have had to test for quality control yesterday. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I love it. All right. Well, let's drink. We are so excited to have Sasha Gray on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm delighted to share wine with you finally after texting and talking about it (laughs) for like so, so many years now. We were connected by a mutual friend of ours. uh, Shout out to Yoshi Obayashi. Yes. Who made that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha, you have had one of the more fascinating journeys in entertainment. You were arguably the biggest adult film star on the planet and the rare one that got to cross over to mainstream cinema and television. You were in a Steven Soderbergh film. You've had an arc and a hit TV show. So much stuff. What would you say today that people recognize you from the most? Yeah, I would have to say definitely adult films for sure. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But Entourage. Yeah, that was definitely the next level. That's funny. That's actually where I first saw you on Entourage. I still have people that come into my chat on stream when I'm on Twitch that say, I love you in Entourage. Can you tell me about this experience? And to the point where like we actually put commands in the chat because otherwise I would be talking about it every day. Right. 
Well, that was where Boop, here's the automated reply. Like it was great. Thank you very much. Like, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that definitely had a different effect. And it's that was a whole bizarre experience just because there's some people that really believe those characters. Yeah. Are real that like they don't understand that. But you like kind of played a version of yourself right. on that show. But the other characters had their, you know, their. You mean Vinny Chase is not a real person? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, are you still with Vinny? You know, he's not real, right? <laughs> what? This turtle up to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so talk to me about streaming. You have this following on Twitch, which for those of you who don't know, is a big streaming platform for gamers. Tell me how you found this and chose to be a streaming personality. I mean, it's a fascinating move. Yeah. So I I think it was more than 10, 11 years ago. I had, wow. I had seen people playing video games and streaming them online. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I had no idea you liked video games. Do you consider yourself a gamer? I'm not like a pro by any means. I'm not nearly the best, but it, it's something that I like. And as you get older, you know, like you have less time for that. Right. You have less time for those little things that you like. You know, what's crazy is, you know, you're shooting Entourage and at the same time you're watching gamers on Twitch is something telling you at this point that like this is maybe a path you're going to go down? I mean, is there anything indicating that maybe the the next chapter of Sasha Gray's life is on Twitch? I had just recently um, got out of adult films and I, you know, from the perspective of society and just going through my own personal safety issues as a result of being in the public eye. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't want more of that. (laughs) I don't need to bring more of that on to me. Um, So what made you decide to take the leap? um, Sort of watch the industry evolve. A few years ago, I was speaking to some people that work more on like the marketing esports side of things. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, you should do this. Like, yeah, I I wanted to a long time ago. And I and I started sort of getting familiarizing myself with like how things had progressed. And the biggest difference now is just, well, of course, the ability to monetize it. Ah, of course, has grown and changed so much. But um, for me, it was more so the fact that you can have moderators mm. and you can foster the community that you want. You know, I want to be here playing games or I want to be here cooking and maybe I don't want to talk about my past. Mm. Like I do that in interviews. <laughs> I, right. I've done that a million times. So like, hey, let's focus on the present, on the now and moving forward and and having fun. Yeah, that's really interesting how Twitch is starting to branch out into content beyond gaming. I'm really fascinated by this platform. I want to learn more about it. It's been a really fun journey. And I started actually putting a big emphasis on my cooking stuff, which has been really fun as cool. well. Yeah, I saw you did a, an Al Pastor taco video recently. Yes. Oh, it looked <gasps> amazing. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a platform where you are just live with a community around you that's mm-hmm. watching whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So it started um, more so as a gaming platform. And Mm -hmm. yes, it's exactly that. The way I explain it to people is that it's like YouTube, but live. If I wanted to be on Twitch drinking wine, could I do that? Yeah. If if you did that, my one piece of advice would be just get used to talking to yourself because you don't want to be silent. Oh, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty used to that. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda does that for a living. (laughs) Yeah. The sociopathic side of me is like extraordinary, like maybe too comfortable talking 
to know, like talking to a camera and not having anyone respond. Oh, I love it. And it's kind of cringeworthy when I think about it. Like my boyfriend brought it up. He's like, you know, it's a little sociopathic that you can do that. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, Oh, I guess that is a little weird. But maybe it stems from like my childhood and not having a lot of friends and just like ah. practicing lines and like having little skits with myself. I can, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable. With- yes. I'm laying it all out there. The whole world knows what a loser I was in high school. (laughs) Yes, I love it. All right. Well, I think on that note, after I've just overshared, it's time to drink. So uh, let's grab our glasses. Sasha, I mean, I know that you really like wine. I know you're pretty into it. But where did that begin for you? How did you get into wine? I consider myself a novice for sure. But I know what I I know what I like and I enjoy it. I don't think there's any one thing in particular. Um, It's probably just this little market that I used to live by. I just had turned 21, so I could just start buying alcohol. And I asked the guy for some recommendations because he just had, for such a small market, he had all these interesting bottles, but I knew nothing about wine. And he recommended me this bottle and it was like a... No, I don't want to misspeak. I forget what it was, but it was definitely a Napa Cabernet. Okay. And it wasn't, it was like $20. Okay. And he introduced me to this. And then I, that sort of just became what I would buy. And it was right outside of my house. So I would always get that. And then it was just sort of progressed, like traveling and drinking. And and usually when I travel, I travel for work, DJing. So when you travel, you don't really get to see places, Mm. you know? So the the best way to kind of experience a culture is just by eating and drinking with people. Yep. Um, And I enjoy it a lot. So I feel like I also learned through that process, just picking up on different things. And if I was out, um, you know, with people in a different country, it's like, oh, what's this? I got to remember this. And I would write it down. And I feel like I just have been lucky with looking at a label and understanding, will I like this? Pure beginner's luck when uh, when I first got into wine. But when you were when you look at the label, though, are you looking for something familiar, like the name of the grape variety or the region, or you just think you're really lucky? <laughs> it's just like shopping for a new book or something. <laughs> like this looks like it's gonna be good. <laughs> Pure luck, because now I kind of know what I'm looking for more than I did then. Okay. Yeah, like I said, beginner's luck, because I really did get lucky with finding really good stuff. Yeah. Does it make you uncomfortable? Is wine something that like shakes you out of your comfort zone? I think for a lot of people, it does. And for me, and for I think for Vanessa, it was uncomfortable at first. And then the more you start learning, the more you're like, I have a grasp. But even until like five years ago, I still felt like I didn't know anything about wine. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm just not ashamed to admit I don't know everything. And yeah. in my early 20s, for sure, I was intimidated. But now I took one class a few years ago and they told us how to read the bottle of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to read the label of the wine and what what each thing meant. I forgot all that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't it was a it was a two day class. They they said it the first day and now I forgot. So now I really just look for regions and types of grapes that I know. Was I like. it like WSET or do you remember where the class was who administered it? It was uh, called NASA. It's like North American Somalia Association, okay. I think. And, and it was in L.A., NASA wine. Yeah. Um, Just curious. Because I, I know the WCT teaches something like, you know, behind the label or how to. And I think that's so valuable for people just to be like, oh, okay. totally. I would like that because, no, I mean, when I tell you, like, they told us this, it was a footnote. It, it was something they just went over for five minutes and then they moved on. It is something you could spend, like, your entire life sort of trying to learn because all the regions are sort of different. I mean, it's also, I think, why Americans gravitate towards American wine, because it's a lot easier to look at that label and 
decipher it. I mean, you look at any, like these two labels are pretty, Mm -hmm. it doesn't tell you a whole whole lot, right? Like you, like we've got this, this Aligote, nowhere on the bottle does it say, oh, I'm sorry, on the back, it does say Aligote. It says Aligote on the back, but nowhere on the front, all it says is Boozeron. You see the producer, Domaine de Villain, 2018. It's got a whole bunch of other French stuff written on it. And you're like, well, I don't know what this means. <laughs> you look at it and you're like, right. it's kind of plain. But I will say the one thing that this does have on the label that I think is more telling, and I think we talked about this, Asha, is uh, the importer. The importer can tell you a lot about the wine. Mm. And this on the back here, you'll see it says Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant. And in addition to it being from Wine Access, which means it's going to be delicious. Yes. That is, to me, one of the biggest tells about a wine. Like, I love pretty much all the wines that Kermit Lynch imports. And in fact, I think the wines that I sent you that first time, all of those Cru Beaujolais were all from Kermit Lynch because they were should have been delicious, hopefully. Yes, they were. And and yeah, I that's actually something I have retained from, from you. <laughs> well, you've come a long way since Napa Cab. Um, oh, yeah. Not that we would disparage Napa Cab because here I am sitting in Napa and Manessas as well. But we've gotten you from Napa Cab to very obscure your white burgundy and I have you ha- have you even had Ali Gote before are you familiar with what is happening in this white wine glass with by that name no but let me say like looking at this label it says and see this is the thing that so intimidates me not being able to pronounce words but bourguignon yep exactly Bur- <laughs> bourguignon no I always invert the letters oh bourguignon is it bourguignon bourguignon yeah yeah bourguignon so I know I've had whites from that region this is pretty obscure so i think you you said something really useful because like i think you know if someone knows a little bit about wine or, or has wine from burgundy and you see a white wine and you see Bourgogne on the label you're like oh it's chardonnay right but this is kind of insider secret so this appellation boozeron is known for a grape called Aligote. So this is white wine from Burgundy, but it's not Chardonnay. Okay. And as this is, I think, the finest example of Aligote yes. in the world, if I can go that far. Ooh, and wow. I just did. <laughs> You're never hyperbolic, Vanessa. Yeah. No, but if you want to if you want to experience this grape variety, like this is your bottle for sure. Definitely it's delicious. This is a perfect example of exception to the rule that when you like when you have an ounce of information, like if you know that Domaine de Villain is a very reputable producer affiliated with arguably the most expensive best house in Burgundy. And, you know, that Ali Gauthier is sort of like, again, the exception to the rule that not a lot of people know about that therefore is going to come with a lesser price tag. Like those two combinations are very powerful. Yeah. Um, and what is the <laughs> price on this wine, Vanessa? Because it's not expensive. It's $36. A steal. White Burgundy for $36. Yeah. This is not exactly a region yeah. known for being, uh, uh, you know, oh, a, a affordable. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you enjoying it, Sasha? Have you tried it? I am. Yeah, because I I'm not a big white wine drinker Mm. and we're also recording this in the middle of the day. (laughs) That's right. I'm not a big day drinker unless it's, you know, vacation mood. So it's kind of nice, but it is like my day off. So I don't feel guilty. Um, And this is for academic purposes. Yes. Yes, exactly. But it's really crisp. It's light. It's not. um, I don't really like overbearing whites like those those whites that are too heavy yeah i actually am guilty of like loving a little bit of like a like a chunky monkey white but chunky monkey (laughs) chunky monkey it does sometimes it tastes like ben and jerry's right um like where it gets me is texture Mm. and for a white to have to be this crisp 
and this bright and still have like enough body and weight to like sometimes those wines just like drop out and then it's like drinking water and you're like well I'll just drink water yeah this actually has a little bit more texture and like chewiness to it without it being overbearing which I really really like oh yeah it does that's an interesting way to put it yeah experts yeah I love it I you know (laughs) when you drink every day during the day like we do you (laughs) (laughs) too I wanted to ask like what is how do you move from a white to a red without feeling because like right now right we opened one white and one red for this podcast yeah so how do you segue into that um maybe from like a tasting perspective and then also just an actual drinking socializing perspective yeah I mean in terms of how we progress we normally go white to red just because the white is generally higher acidity right than a red wine and so you kind of want to go from like this is also why we will start with champagne right because champagne is the highest amount of acidity, then you might go to a white, which is going to be like medium acidity. And then most reds in general are not going to be like screeching high acidity. Occasionally they will be, but most of them are going to be about medium to low. Um, So like migrating through, if you're drinking in that direction, you know, you go champagne, white, red. To me, I don't really care. (laughs) Your palate's going to reset itself no matter what. I mean, there is no like, there's no right or wrong. Like I've been known to finish with white wines because because that acidity comes back and it cleans up your palate again and it gives you so much more lift. It's like, huh. you know, it's like e- eating something really heavy and then you're like, well, I don't want to eat something else heavy. Like I need something to freshen it up again. And it's like putting a breath mint in your mouth by like taking a sip of champagne or white wine. Yeah. It feels good. Well, and for like professional tastings too, let's say, you know, you're going to be tasting dozens or even more white and red wines. A lot of people will choose to actually taste the red wines first for exactly mm-hmm. the reason Amanda's saying. So like you, you just tasted through, I don't know, 20, 30 red wines, you know, and you want to kind of refresh your palate. Um, and then, so we taste them at the end. Yeah. There's no rules. You do whatever you want. Interesting. And don't ever let anybody tell you, I'm, I'm being serious about this. I think people think there are rules when it comes to wine. They really aren't. I mean, don't drink Napa Cab with oysters. That's just disgusting. But <laughs> beyond that. So there's one rule is what you're saying, Amanda. There is one. There's one rule. <laughs> there's one rule. Oysters and red wine. It's, don't do it. It's gross. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I heard Diane Keaton puts ice in her red wine. I'm on board with that. I can I can get down with Diane and the and the ice and the red wine. I actually like my reds a little colder. I'd rather have the foresight to chill them down and not dilute them. Right. The dilution is crazy yeah, to me. And I hope it's like filtered water and not something gross. But all right, Diane. Okay. And this is something I wanted to ask both of you actually. Most of my friends say, like, oh, I don't drink red wine because it makes me have a hangover or it just makes me feel sick and I don't like it or I get a headache right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel that more often with white wine than I do red wine. White wine tends to get me drunk. I'm going to venture a guess because there's no like reason in terms of chemistry per se or, you know, that that would happen. I'm wondering if it's because you're just white wines go down faster and easier and you maybe drink them faster than you drink a red wine. Yeah. Could be also in terms of food. Like, are you eating when you're drinking these white wines? Because often, you know, you might start with like a glass of champagne, like Amanda said, or you like have a white wine early in the meal. But then later you're like you're drinking the red wines, which you have food as a base too. That's just my guess. Cause mm-hmm. I can't think of another reason off the top of my head. I mean, unless it's their like higher alcohol percentages, which would be, but I, I kind of doubt that's what's happening. Right. Um, so Amanda, what was your thought on that? Yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I drink whites faster just mm-hmm. 
one, because they go down faster, but two, I mean, when you're not, you don't get palate fatigue the way that you do when you're drinking red wine. So it, yeah. you know, it, it stands to reason that you would drink it faster, but I don't know. It seems a little counterintuitive because white wines do tend to be lower in alcohol than red wines. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wondering if maybe it's the way the body metabolizes mm the sugars and the alcohol. I have no idea, but I hear a lot of people also say, oh, yeah. oh I, I can't drink red wine, especially because of the sulfide. Yeah. It's a, it's a sound bite. It's very <laughs> misunderstood. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Sulfites are like the bane of Assam's existence. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. I mean, sulfites are in almost all wines, right? It's just like either naturally occurring or I think Amanda and I have talked about this on, on, one of our previous podcasts, but yeah, they're naturally occurring byproduct of fermentation. They're in all wines at some degree. And it's used in such small amounts in wine that like in such huge amounts in other products, like, you know, anything frozen, you know, frozen spinach, right. a dried apricot. So like if people are really genuinely like quote unquote allergic or they claim they are, if they eat any of those foods, like it's not the sulfites in the wine right. that's, that's giving them the problem. Um, it's a pretty serious allergy if you actually have it, like you would know. You would know if you were actually allergic to sulfites. Yeah. Interesting. I love talking about it because I think that that is one of those things that people hear. They're like, oh, it's the sulfites. That's why I'm hungover. And I'm like, no, you just didn't drink enough water, you a-hole. Like, what are you talking about? No, no. It's if it's really fascinating. <laughs> no, you're just wasted. <laughs> How many cocktails did you have before that? <laughs> right. So you've had like three sips of this white one. Are you wasted? No, but I definitely feel a buzz. See, that's the thing. I'm like, <laughs> God. I feel it coming. It's creeping up on me. <laughs> All right. We can switch to red if that will make you feel better. No, no, don't, don't. Um, we can switch back and forth too. Like I'm, I always go back and forth between my wines. I'm not, I'm not like once I head to red town, I'm like, that's it. I can't go back. Uh, Cause like I said, your palate will reset. Like your palate's fine. It's not going anywhere. We've got a light bodied red wine. Like this is, this is basically like drinking a white version of a red wine from uh from italy which i know you're acquainted with um it's from sicily so it's uh etna rosso so it's from etna so it's an island wine mm-hmm. and the grape is called norello mascalese and it's you know if i looked at this um let's see if i didn't know what was in the glass and i looked at it it's really kind of pale in color so it kind of looks like a Pinot Noir, hmm. um, but then you taste it and it's much more kind of, it has this that, that beautiful like Italian sort of sour cherry acidity. Yeah. I always get like a smoky, smokiness to the, to Norella Mascalese and kind of an herbal quality. I mean that in a good way, not medicinal, just like herbal. Um, so anyway, I, Psalms also really love, um, I mean, you can probably speak to this, but really love Etna Rosso's and this great variety because they're super food friendly too. And like really, really versatile. It's one of these wines that is, it's sort of a chameleon wine. It can kind of ebb and flow with lots of different dishes. It smells a little like Italian seasoning. Yeah. And then it has the added bonus of it being from Etna, which has this sort of like smoky, um, I don't know. I just, I find this wine to be really like hedonistic without being <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah, I'm really impressed. First of all, I love Sicily. I've spent a lot of time there. Mm. So I'm I'm a little bit familiar with uh, the Etna wines, but I like, for instance, I already forgot the name of this grape. What was it? Norello Mascalese. Norello Mascalese. I don't know how you could forget it. It was so easy. <laughs> so like, these are things that I would like to start trying to commit to memory so I can say, okay, well, even if, Mm. The label is a little bit confusing. If I know that grape is in it, then I'll probably like it. It's it's really good. I just ate a I ate a rice cracker to try and cleanse my palate a little bit in between. Um, I'm glad you did that and didn't take a sip of water. The thing that I really love in general about 
uh, Italian reds is how drinkable they are when they're young. I, I can really tell the difference in the terroir, right? Like, oh yeah, I can tell that this is volcanic. And um, yeah, and these yeah. wines are really good with with food, just all around. Can I, I just want to say, Amanda, we, we had this conversation on a previous podcast. Did you know I was going to go there? I knew, I knew you were going there. We got a guest who um, kept insisting that he really didn't know you know, much of anything about wine, like total novice. And then you start talking and we were like, you know, so much. And Sasha, I feel like you're the same. Like, you're like, I get the terroir. And like, you, you're, you, you started this saying, like, yeah. you don't know much about wine and you know so much more than most people. Yeah. I mean, even in the lead up to this podcast, I have to say, you really impressed the team at Wine Access with your knowledge of wine. It does seem like you're constantly surprising people and to some degree subverting their expectations like does that sound right to you like for instance entourage you're playing yourself but you're not really playing yourself it's like a version of yourself what was that process like it's well the first challenge is that it's a version of me that is really not me meaning um like the the drugs and and drinking and sort of the attitude and so I had a little hesitancy that I never really spoke about but it's like I, I worked my entire career to dispel those myths and dispel those cliches. So I internally felt a little conflict mm. being that version of what the majority of people right. probably think I am. Right. Like I've straight up had people come up to me and say, oh, you did coke with my with my cousin at your gig in in Montreal. And I'm like, I've never done coke in my life. Like, do whatever you want to do. But yeah, no, that never happened. And so that that was difficult, kind of. But. I just had to remember it's it's fiction. It's a TV show. I still try to find different motivations behind what I was doing in, in certain scenes. And of course, in real life, I'm very relaxed mm -hmm. and you have to play things up for the camera. So there's also that performance component as well. That's um, you just have to be very aware of in the moment. Do you think you're yourself when you're streaming on Twitch? Like, do you, or do you think that's like some version of yourself? I think I've I've become more of myself, actually, like meaning when I first started, some of my moderators actually joke like, you're not just the angry girl on the couch anymore. <laughs> Where now I, I relaxed a little bit, you know, like before I was just like, yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's very similar to my real personality in that when I get to know somebody, I'm, I'm quiet and I have RSF. We've gotten rid of the term resting bitch face and we call it RSF because that's an antiquated term. Thank you. And it means resting stoned face. <laughs> okay. And so I have, I just have a resting stoned face. There's nothing I can do about it. I always, if I'm not laughing or, or, you know, exaggerating a little bit, I look a little pissed. So that's just my face. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like I've definitely opened up, but of course there's things that um, I keep to myself just because we need to have our privacy. Sure. Yeah. I always feel like being myself on camera was the hardest to be. Definitely when the camera goes on, even right now, right? Even though it's it's relaxed, mm -hmm. you you everybody changes. It's impossible not to. Sure. Uh, so I definitely have, well, it wanes, especially because I stream for several hours, but I definitely have a little bit more energy or I'm a little bit more upbeat on stream on camera, but also because I know that's what people respond to. How do you keep that energy though? Cause you'll go for like five hours, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't, it's just impossible. Right. So, <laughs> so I'll sometimes, especially the longer days where it's hour nine, um, you know, but that's also the sort of the beauty of live streaming is that everyone gets to see those flaws mm. and they, and they become sometimes content within itself. I always keep a little piece for myself. Like it's not 
it's not exactly me. It's like some version of me, but I guess, you know, yeah, I guess it could be argued that we all have very, we all have versions of ourselves in everyday life. So maybe, maybe it is just like. hundred <laughs> percent. We do. We all wear masks. Yeah. This is the wine talking now, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> all getting like a little cerebral. It's really fascinating to try and understand what you like and why you like it. I was visiting family right after I got vaccinated in Sacramento. And um, just on a whim, I said to my mom, like, why don't we go to Napa for the day? Like, I've never done a Napa wine tour. I'm from Northern California. And everything was completely booked, of course. Couldn't find anything. And then I found a place in St. Helena. Yeah. And so I said, okay, there's a tasting available. Like, let's go there. And then, you know, we could go eat afterwards. And I think out of the seven wines we tried I liked one Mm. and they were all red yeah and then for instance something that I love is uh, that I learned I liked was like a Heights Cabernet yeah not fruity Mm. recently um or Stag's Leap yeah I think my palate just in general gravitates towards something more savory something more a little bit more restrained Mm. something that has a little bit more like angularity and, you know, Heights is such a great example of that. So I guess what I'm getting at is like, you need to come to Napa and yes. you don't need to, I will make all the appointments for you. <laughs> well, I know. And I was like, oh, I should, I should write Amanda. But it was like, so last minute, I was like, I feel bad. Like I've never even met her. I don't want to <laughs> call her and ask her for a favor, like on a whim. It would be my pleasure. I'm always happy to like host a potential convert. <laughs> um, are you enjoying the Edoroso though? Have you like been? I really like this. Good. I love the cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, like a little bit of clove too. Mm. Look at you. See? I think. Liar, liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> liar, liar. <laughs> and the sulfur. I love, I love sulfur smells. Mm. I like that. But it's not too, uh, there's some, I've had some wines, like especially young wines that, and I actually think I wrote you about something before. I was like, Oh my God, it's, oh, it's too much. Is there something wrong with this? How do I know if this is a good or bad wine? Like when it's too much, it's too much, but this is really, it's really light. Like you smell it, but then you don't necessarily taste it so much. There's a flintiness, you know, it's like you just struck a match. It kind of like lives in that, in that other territory, that like other category of things that we smell that we can't really pinpoint. Um, and I had that happen to me recently. We, reduction uh, is a term that we use sometimes with like whites and reds that can give you that sort of sulfuric, flinty characteristic on the nose. Huh. And we decanted the white because it was so reductive. It needed some air. Oh, wow. A white even. Sometimes if you give it air, it tends to like mobilize the wine, throw some oxygen back into it because reduction is really the result of an oxygenless environment. So by adding oxygen back in, it can kind of reawaken everything. And I'm not using the proper terminology, but it's decanting. It's it's just opening it back up and letting some of those like fumes blow off a little bit and, and release themselves. Sasha, what's going on in your world that you want people to know about? Oh, well, of course, my Twitch streams and my YouTube. I do. So if you don't like the live thing and you don't like dead air, uh, people could check out my YouTube channel where we do shorter edits of gameplay. And of course, all of my cooking, uh, we call that secret sauce. If all goes well, doing uh, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and do IRL content, which is just going to explore different cities Ooh. live 
real time. Will you tell people where you're going to be and they're going to come and see you? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, well, I mean, it happens, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it, it happens. That will happen. Like I did it in 2019. Actually, it was in Sicily. And yeah, they call them stream snipers. It's, it's somebody that is watching your live and they know that you're there and maybe they live close by. So I was like at a cafe and but it was completely harmless. You could tell he's like wanting to ask mm. for a photo or to say hi, but he was hesitant. So um, I know there are streamers that they're like an open book. They tell everybody this is all of their plans. I'm just going to kind of let it right out and see see how I feel when when I get closer to the day. I leave in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, they know the basic countries that I'm going to. And of course, when I'm there, they're going to know. Right. But uh yeah, for the most part, I, th- I think it'll be OK. I actually feel I feel more comfortable doing that outside of my own city. Mm. for sure. I bet. So what is that like when people come up to you and want a photo or an autograph or to like say hello? Is it weird? Do you like it? I'm used to it now. I think if they're they're polite about it and I'm not eating a taco, you know, it's completely fine. Like as long as you're polite and you ask. Don't interrupt Sasha during taco. Don't interrupt my taco, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be pissed too. I have to say, though, like what's more annoying is if somebody is sneaking a photo because that feels invasive. And that I don't I, I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of gross. I saw that happen once at the restaurant and it was with um with Chris Pine. OK. And he like understandably like got very upset and was like, really? Like and it, it's like it's an open restaurant like. Obviously, everyone knew what they were trying to do. And I'm like, wow, he was just like eating dinner with his friend. Like you really needed to be assholes about it. Yeah. I always think people want that version of you too. You started your career as, you know, sort of girl next door. Like you were the, you were the anti, right? Like you didn't look like a lot of other people in the industry. And so I think that was very appealing to people because you had this, you know, very beautiful, but very natural look to you. Um, And I, I often wonder if, you know, people just... They just want to, they just want that version. They just want like real honesty and transparency. It's an interesting thing too, because you have, uh, this is a conversation I find myself talking about more and more recently is like this parasocial relationship that you have as the person that everybody is watching and then having that energy fed back off from the viewers, right? And like, Mm. what are the expectations and, um, and how do you make that something healthy where you see people online, not just streaming, but all sorts of social media and content creation, calling people their besties. Mm. Like, is that a healthy thing to do? Right. I don't know you. Um, So I try, you know, I try as hard as I can to say like, you know, this is me, but there are also things that I need to keep to myself. Right. Um, For my own security and privacy and safety, which I feel like is a big plus in what we're seeing in social media that didn't exist years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The boundaries thing is an ish, is an interesting topic. Even last night I was at a, a concert um, or a, a gala where there's Jennifer Hudson was performing and I don't know, there's something inside me and I, I'm sure she, I'm sure she means it in some way, but like when someone yells like, I love you, Jennifer Hudson, she's like, I love you too. And I'm like, you guys don't actually love each other. Like this is such a weird yeah. dynamic. And like, I, I don't know, I, I find, I find these relationships to be almost give me anxiety in a way to think about like right. people like that in, in that way as, as a very um, disarming feeling for me. Yeah, you get that excitement, mm-hmm. um, especially because I have to say, for the most part, the majority of the people are really respectful and, and wonderful fans. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there is that there is that exchange of of 
mutual respect. And I can't, I could say like, I love you guys. Like, thank you so much. Because of course, at the end of the day, I wouldn't be here without those people and without their support. Right. Um, but I do try to make it clear that it's not a real relationship. Right. And I feel like the majority of people can understand that, but there's always a few bad apples. Right. Un- unfortunately. Right. I can't even imagine what your bad apples look like. I got a weird email the other day and it, if anyone's interested in stomping grapes and filming their feet, I know someone that's looking. Oh, uh, <laughs> I already can see where it's going. I can see exactly where it's going. Wow. I came through at like 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and I was like, what is this guy doing right now? Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to know what he's doing at 10 a.m. on Sunday. No. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we always uh, we always kind of take our, a peek at our glasses towards the end of the podcast to see which was our favorite. Um, I have to say, I drank the crap out of the Aligote, so I'm I'm in I'm in white camp today. Where are you, Vanessa? Um, I'm in I'm in white camp today, but um, I really feel though like both of these are super food friendly. They're both really brisk acid, but I the Etna Rosso to me needs food. Yeah. So I'm mm. I'm going to say it's kind of only by virtue of what we're drinking because I love this wine but Interesting. I really want to I want to pair it with something. I want to pair it with like a beautiful like something with you know tomato sauce to match the acidity, something like mm. that. Um yeah, but I love I love both of these wines, but I I think um I think the Aligote has my has my heart today. All right. I actually I wouldn't mind seeing that red with um those al pastor tacos that you made. Ooh. I could see these, like, you know, some of the chilies and the, like, mm-hmm. just that, like, that dark, uh, crunchy flavor with, you know, the, yeah. like, a little bit of sweetness, like, really perking that red up. I think it'd be cool. You tell I'm hungry, it's almost dinner time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sasha? Which, which glass is more empty? Uh, I think I poured a little bit more red. <laughs> so it's harder to say. Okay. Um, just by accident. <laughs> Um, I believe you. (laughs) I have to say if I was like, I'm always going to say red. That's just who I am. But I have to say, okay, in terms of if I really had to give an answer, I really like this white because it's so smooth. Mm. And I agree with you, Vanessa, that this red really doesn't need food, especially right Mm -hmm. now. Like, it's weird for me to drink a red wine in daylight. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's hot. It's summertime. I get it. Like, it's. Not it doesn't and yeah and that should factor into your decision making. I don't think it factors enough into people's decision making when they're selecting bottles or choosing what to drink. That all matters. Like you know, it's it's not as simple as yeah. What do I you know? It's the same as like what I want to what do I want to eat for dinner? Like well, if it's ninety five degrees, like I'm guessing a brisket's probably not you know in your wheelhouse for that evening, right? Exactly. It's the same <laughs> with wine. And can I ask? I think you said how much the white was. Can I ask how much both of these were? Yeah, the um the exactly the Aligote is thirty six and the Etna Rosso is twenty one. Okay. So I think that's so not a big difference either. No, but but I think like for twenty one dollars, that's a lot of a lot of wine for that value. Yeah. Like this is a really fascinating wine to me for twenty bucks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I would go I would buy this. Like this is going on my list for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Yes. Uh, number one, thanks for sharing some wine on your day off. Uh, another thing that I would love to mention is a petition that uh, is going on right now. My friend in Italy uh, was recently killed alongside his friend. Um, he was on his small boat in Lake Garda, Lago di Garda, and this luxury boat ran them over. And they it was that night and they didn't stop. 
the girl could have been saved. Her name was Greta. She could have been saved. So um, a local woman from Salo, where uh, my friend Umberto was from, she started a petition on change.org to gather signatures because in Italy, uh, nautical hit and runs are not a crime, unlike automobile hit and runs. What? That means hit and runs on the water. And uh, well, we just reached a goal of 50,000 signatures, which is huge because that 50,000 50, signatures, she can actually present the petition to the Italian parliament and hopefully get that law changed. Well, justice anywhere in the world is a questionable thing, but especially in Italy, like the justice system um, is completely different than it is here. And these two men have a lot of money. And so it's it's mm. it's free to do. It's it's one signature to help bring awareness. And, you know, if something like a petition gets enough visibility, it can create a really lasting and impactful change. We will direct people to where they can yeah. hopefully support the change and help to ensure that these things uh, happen with less regularity than they are now. It's a terrible tragedy. Um, Thank you. appreciate that. I look forward to watching you on Twitch and hopefully seeing you in Napa so we can. I hope so. Find some like some crunchy reds that you'll enjoy very soon. Yes. Anytime. Anytime we'll make it happen. This was super cool. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of your wines and um, we hope to see you soon. Thank you. Yeah. Vanessa, I feel like we talked about wine for such a long time on this podcast and I totally didn't expect that with her. Did you? It, no, I mean, it was as we talked about during the podcast, like she's one of those people who clearly knows a lot, but downplays it. Yes. But I also loved that we could really ebb and flow between different topics. I love when we started talking about her life, uh, you know, as a, a very famous person and what that's like to to deal with this relationship between her and her fans. There is a very strange relationship that I think we have as people, and I'm sure you can attest to as well, people that you've never met who know who you are and you have a relationship with them. And I thought she... She highlighted that relationship in such a such a real way. And I was I was thrilled to be able to talk about both wine and about that subject and all of the other things that lead in between in a very fluid way with her. I you know, I I really enjoy speaking with her. No, I did too. Like like I said, super knowledgeable, but about many things and just like, you know, kind of down to earth, like someone I wanna like hang out with, go grab a drink with. <laughs> yeah, she's a cool chick yeah, from Cali. Sure she's, is. you know, born not too far from where we are right now in Sacramento. And I think she really enjoyed the wines. I'm going to send her a couple more bottles of that Etna Rosso. Yeah. Because I think she was pretty into that. And man, did that perform, huh? Like a $20 red wine. Oh, yeah, it's so it's totally over delivers. Um, completely agree. And I love that we tasted the, uh, an Ali Gote, which, you know, is Mm-hmm. Again, not not the first wine people think of when they think of Burgundy, but certainly something that they should include. Um, and I think today totally proved that. And from one of the most brilliant producers out there, right? Like how rare is it to get a wine of that caliber from that region from a producer like that for what? Thir- what did you think? $36 or something? $36. Yeah. I mean... It's a steal. Unbelievable. Cool. And I mean, I love that Wine Access has those wines. Like I said before, I I purchased a couple bottles for myself and I will be getting more of the Adarosa, not only for her, but for me as well. So I think we drank really, really well today. And if someone wants to go steal these wines from Wine Access because they are such a steal, where would you send them? Easy peasy, wineaccess.com. And then, of course, you want to follow us on Instagram at Wine Access or on Facebook at the Wine Access Experience. Yes. And some of those Instagram 
deals, those like Friday dibs things that you guys do are so great. You know, I've seen some really, really incredible offers on there. And for those of you listening who are loving what we're doing, if you have a moment, we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast, rate us, leave a little review. It really helps other people to learn about our show, to discover us and to grow our community of wine loving friends. Uh, This video will be available. And I believe not only am I going to post the clip on Instagram at Wine Access Unfiltered and on Twitter at Wine Access Pod, but I do think that this is going to be shown in full on YouTube. So head to Instagram, follow us, and I will uh, direct you to where that happens and when it happens. I don't know, Vanessa, are you going to, are there, is there any white left or did you take it all down today? (laughs) I have a little left, but it will be consumed (laughs) before sundown. (laughs) Good. Well, head to, head to like Ico's, go get yourself some sushi and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. And I'm sure I'll be doing the same. Sounds good. (laughs) Cheers.